0: Well, it is a blessing to be here this morning. It is a full house, even fuller than it's been, I think, earlier in the week. And uh, a few people who have showed up here that we didn't expect. You never know who you're going to see when you visit other churches. I appreciated Clifford's comments about repeating things. As I get older, I realize that there's value in that. It seems like oftentimes we've had a bit of reaction to repeating things. Maybe because we grow up as children hearing our parents say the same thing over and over again, and we get annoyed by it, and we assume that it's never valuable to repeat things. But when it comes to the Bible, and even other things, there's a lot of things that have a lot of value in repetition. And when you read a scripture... Many times it becomes more and more meaningful, not less. And so I just thought I'd throw that out there since we were talking about that anyway. And um, the comment was made here just a minute ago as well. So this morning, I plan to speak on the subject of child training, how to train our children. I struggled more with this message than any of the others this week so far, and I still don't know why. It just didn't seem clear to me quite what God was wanting me to say, where to go, how to approach it all. If I have enough time, I do this message in two, and I don't have the luxury of doing that. This weekend, and so I struggled to know where to go, first of all, what I should cover, and and then even after I thought it was settled, it still wasn't. I'm sure God has a reason, and maybe we'll, well, he'll use that how he sees fit. But pray for me in that, that, that as, as I preach this morning, God would show me what he wants me to emphasize. There's so much here, and I guess one of the things that I struggled with is... There will be some practical things about training your children that I'll be sharing this morning, but I just want to encourage you as fathers to not make training of your children completely tactical. It's not just a list of things you do and then it all turns out right. We all get that, right? I think in our heads we know that, but sometimes we approach it that way without realizing it, and especially as young fathers, not picking on the young ones. Uh, I was there, and I have total sympathy for wherever you are in your journey, but um, as young fathers, we're often idealistic, and we, we have a certain way we plan to do things, and we get sometimes overzealous. That, that um, overzealousness, if that's even a word, at times causes us to be too strong, sometimes a bit harsh, and I want to avoid implying this morning that that there's just a certain amount of th- certain things you do, and then it'll it'll turn out right, and that and that if you didn't do those that list of things, that that's why my children didn't turn out right. There's a whole lot more to it than that, and I think we'll see that in the beginning here. Psalm 127. I'm going to be looking specifically at that psalm um, this morning to start out with. And I did, I did address this briefly a time or so earlier in the week. But verse 1 starts off reminding us that if God is not the master builder, it's not going to turn out Okay. And as I was studying this morning, I was, I was trying to figure out where I'm going and, and what God really has, and I, I, was, I was looking at Psalm 127 and 128. In the past, I've, I've taught this. I've used the verse 4 about the arrows and talked about how to shape our arrows, um, our children being our arrows in this case. And I think that's, that's fine. But as I was studying I came across the thought, and I believe it's true, that 127 and 128 of of the Psalms here are actually emphasizing the fact that it's God who brings the blessing in our homes. It it actually doesn't tell us to do anything. Does it? Unless I'm missing something. Is there anything here that it says we should do like a a practical hands-on thing? It says, fear the Lord, okay, Have your quiver full? Actually, it doesn't say that. It says you're blessed if your quiver's full. But who gives a full quiver? Is that up to us? We found out that it's not. As much as we sometimes wish we were in control of how many children and when they come and all those things, Many of us as parents have found out that God is the one that opens and closes the womb. doesn't mean there's nothing that we have to do with it, obviously, but God is the one who blesses us with children. He's the one that brings the blessing into our homes as we fear the Lord. And so 127 and 128 are really saying, and I think it's true, I hadn't really thought about it before, that when you trust the Lord, when you fear the Lord, when, and, and you walk with him, that he brings the blessings that, that it's talking about in these two chapters. I want to read 127 in a different version. This is a Bible in basic English. It says, if the Lord is not helping the builders, then the building of a house is to no purpose. If the Lord does not keep the town, the watchman keeps his watch for nothing. It is of no use for you to get up early and to go to late to your rest with the bread of sorrow for your food. For the Lord gives to his loved ones in sleep. See, sons are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the body is his reward. Like arrows in the hand of a man of war are the children of the young. Happy is the man who has a good store of them. He will not be put to shame, but will cause, his cause will be supported by them against his haters. So I I believe, according to verse 1 especially, well, and the the first several verses, 127, that if if we believe it's totally up to us how our children turn out, we're kind of pushing God aside. And someone mentioned one of the first evenings here that if we were perfect parents, we really, really wouldn't need God. And the Bible makes it very clear that we do need God and I don't think I can overemphasize that part here this morning. <clears throat> if, if we believe, well, first of all, our children are gods, just like everything that we have is gods. And if we start out with that premise and we keep pounding that in our own heads, we're a lot further ahead. Everything we have is gods, including our children. They are not your children. You are a steward of them for a short time, but your purpose is not to have this beautiful family to, to bless you necessarily. God will bless you with that. But it's to raise them for his purposes. And if, if we, we believe that it's all about us, uh, we, we're going to have far too much stress. That's when the stress of being a parent becomes too heavy. When we get into to, to that place of thinking that, it's, it's, if it's going to happen right, it's going to be up to me. And if it starts turning out wrong, it's all because I did everything wrong. That's too much to bear. While I want you as fathers to be idealistic in a loving way, I believe many zealous dads have wrecked their families on the altar of their own reputation. And there are some clear examples of that that I have observed in my lifetime that were extremely sobering. And even a bit um, maybe disturbing and unsettling. When I watched from a distance dads who seemed to to have a godly home. They were teaching their children all the right stuff. They were doing all the right things. Everything seemed to be in place, and the children were just growing up just like they should and doing all the right stuff. And suddenly, it's like a bomb was dropped in the family, and everything blows apart. I believe many times it's because we as dads are trying to protect our reputation by making sure our children do the right things. Your children are not about you. So give them to God. One of the things my father-in-law Chris Diener used to say He preached from this scripture a number of times over the years, and he did a a great job with it. I'd be happy if I could do it as well as he did, and I'm sure some of you heard him preach when he was here, Uh, you know, the years he was a minister here, and we heard him do that at home as well. But one of the things he said, uh, verse 5, where it talks about that a father with a bunch of children will not be ashamed... But he will, they will speak with the enemies in and the gate. And, and his interpretation of that, at least somewhat, was the fact that, that um, this is a picture of, of, of meeting our enemy, the devil, when we pass on, when it's our time to leave. And the devil says, ha, you're done. Your turn is over. Some of you, there's a few older ones here, uh, Floyd, Floyd, you don't have as many years ahead of you to preach as you used to have, right? It, it's you know you're you're that older age, and one of these times, you know th- that work is completely transferred to the young ones. I guess mostly has been already, but that time's going to come, and we're going to be gone. And the devil says, "Ha! ha so much for that. You no preaching from you anymore. You're done." But the archer says, "Oh, but I've got children." They're going to carry it forward from here. Amen. So it doesn't stop when the archer passes on, but the, the arrows continue forward. And, and I like that. I, I don't know if that's exactly what it means. Honestly, this, this passage is so disputed. If you look at commentaries, there's, it's all over the map about what these verses really mean. Uh, and, and I've struggled. I've, I've never settled completely on, on exactly what God wants us to learn from some of this. But I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. There is one thing that is clear here is there is power in a quiver full of arrows. There's something about meeting the enemies at the gate and not being ashamed that means that there's a blessing in a quiver full of children that is powerful. What exactly practically what it means, I don't know. But I do know that it's a tremendous blessing from God. So moving on now a bit, I'd like to think about Proverbs 22.6. Now this is another very uh, discussed and debated scripture. And I'm not going to pretend to have, bring to you the, the final conclusion but let's read it first. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Wow, what does that verse mean? (laughs) If we do everything just right, they're all going to turn out, right? Anyone want to help us with that? I'm not trying to get you to say something it's not saying, but Anyone want to make a comment on Proverbs twenty-two six? It's a proverb. Thank you. It's a proverb, exactly, like the one that's not in the Bible: "An apple a day keeps the doctor away." So, if you eat an apple a day, you'll never need a doctor, right? No, it means that as a general rule, when you eat healthy, your body does better. I think the same applies here. I, I, I appreciate that. Uh, it's a proverb. It's, it's a general principle that when children are guided on the right way, that will stick with them and will be a benefit to them and generally will keep them on the right path. Uh, I don't think we should make it a law that says um, if we do this, it's all going to turn out right. But a few things I do want to look at from this, just briefly here train up a child, uh, the best that I can understand that it, it has the idea of, of bringing our children onto a certain path and even kind of the idea of narrowing that path. It's, it's not a wide path. It's not the broad way that anything goes. It's, it's narrowing the path for our children. And if we as parents Don't narrow the path for our children. They have a really hard time when they grow up with laws of the land and other authorities they bump into, and life gets really tough. If they think they can do whatever they want as they grow up, their life becomes very hard at some point. And there's thousands of examples of that in our prison system today. Young men here, for whatever reason, they thought they can just do whatever they want. And it hasn't turned out well. So I do believe we as parents are called to narrow that path. Ephesians 6.4 says, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Probably, I could have just preached the whole sermon on that. Actually, I'm sure I I could have. There would have been a lot we could talk about there. Um, but first of all, we talked about it the other evening. This thing of how we as fathers at times do provoke our children. Uh, another another version says, fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the Master. Now, that's a pretty soft translation there, and I'm not claiming that it's accurate necessarily, but the, the picture I like there, I, I think the heart of Proverbs 22.6 is, is in that, that version. Uh, don't, don't exasperate your children by being harsh, by, by making the rules something that is just unattainable and that, that they can't ever please you, but nurture them by leading them. I really like that picture of of leading our children. We're not pushing and whipping like a like as though it would be an animal, a horse or a donkey or something like that, but we're leading them and by the way King James says nurture. Who did I tell you the other evening is the better at nurturing? The mother, the mother. Now, this is telling fathers to nurture. But again, if we allow our wives to help us do the nurturing well, it will be done better. Can you tell I like talking about that? Because we miss that often. Um, And I was one of those fathers. I think I did some things well. But one of the things I didn't do well is be gentle. At times, I was far too harsh. It doesn't help to raise your voice. Except occasionally, yeah, maybe kind of scare them into submission, but ultimately, it does more harm than good. We're to take them by the hand. We're to talk gently. We can talk firmly, without being harsh. And I think that's one of the things this scripture is telling us. And then the second part, and we're going to spend most of our time on this now. Proverbs 22, 6, it says, in the the way he should go. And we're not, I'm not even going to look at the, the last part of that verse necessarily, but the second phrase here, train up a child in the way he should go. And there's a lot of debate about what that means as well. One thing it doesn't say train up a child in the way you dad think he should go. Or train up a child to be just like you. Or train up a child to do just what you do for an occupation. Or train up your daughters to cook exactly like you do you do. But it says, train up a child in the way he should go. And I'm I'm not going to say exactly what all that means, although I think one of the things we can draw from that, at least practically, I believe it's true, is that our children are all very different. Anyone notice that in your families? They are very, very different. The way that we trained the first two or three of our children didn't work for all the ones following. Now, yeah, we still use discipline. There's some basic things we always did. But we had to use a very different approach, especially with our teens. So I'm going to talk the rest of the time about what children need, and I'm going to be drawing a bunch of this from John Drescher's old book, Seven Things Children Need. And um, this isn't all strictly from the Bible, but I think there's some practical things that we can think about as fathers. I think this will help us with the nurturing part of training our children. And we'll be, we'll be talking about discipline as well at the end, so we'll get to that part as well. We're not going to be skipping that. But uh, Chris, Father-in-law Chris, uh, drew from this book quite a bit over the years as well. And I kind of forgot about it until recently, and I pulled it off my shelf. I think he had given me a copy years ago. And he mentions seven things children need. We're going to look at five of those this morning. If we can... Um... These are the Seven that he mentions in the book. Need for significance, the need for security, the need for acceptance, the need to be loved and be loved, the need for praise, need for discipline, and the need for God. Obviously, there's a lot there we could talk about. What I do want to say before we move on with this is that just like when you're baking a pie, a cake, or bread. I should have checked with my wife on this. In fact, I thought I might and I forgot about it. But how many ingredients can you miss and it still be kind of good? Depends what it is, someone said, I think. Depends what it is. That, that's probably a good point here. Likely you can miss an ingredient or two, depending on what it is, and it'll still be okay. It might not be a total flop. Am I right, ladies? Yeah, okay, thank you. I I was a little worried about that. I wasn't sure if I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So it'll turn out to be okay without a few ingredients. But if you want really delicious pie, it needs them all including the sugar, right? I mean, these healthy pies and cakes, yeah, I eat some of those, but they're not the same. Anyway, that's a side note. Um, And so I think our children are the same. And so I I believe we we, we dare not get hung up that if we don't do all seven of these perfectly, that somehow our children are just going to be a total flop. Children can rise above those things, especially depending on the decisions they make later. But if we give them all seven ingredients, generally they're going to be more healthy and more delicious as children. I think that's something like that. (laughs) I know these illustrations always break down a bit. So the need for significance. I'm going to be looking at these five here. I will praise thee, Psalm 139, 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. How do you help your child believe that they are significant? And, And all these things are not to try to... Raise an entitled, spoiled child, you know, one who just thinks the world revolves around him. Please, that's not what I'm looking for, and you know that, I think. But at the same time, a child must, must grow up believing that they have value, that their family believes they have value, that those other people around them believe they have value. How do we do that? And and here's several things. A correct attitude toward yourself as a parent. This is one I haven't heard talked about very much, but this is what John Drescher says. What attitude could we have about ourselves that might make it unhealthy for a child and how he feels about himself? Too much or too little little self-esteem. That's a real simple way of saying it. If you think you're just it, it's probably not going to help the child. He's, he's, going to, he's, it's, he's not going to feel significant. He's going to feel like he's entitled as well. Or if you're a person who has somehow never believed that you really have value, your children will feel that, and they'll struggle the same. Let your child help around the home. Introduce your child to others. Let him speak for himself. Respect his opinions. Um, especially true for sons, I said there, I don't have enough time to develop that very well, but... But young men especially need to feel significance Um, in a different way than young ladies do. The sense, again, like men, that we need to know that they have a purpose that counts and that they're going to make, they can make a difference. And then spend time with your child. little story here. A small boy watched his father polish the car. He asked, Dad, your car is worth a lot, isn't it? His dad replied, It costs a lot. It pays to take care of it. When I trade the car in, it will be worth more if I take care of it. After some silence, the son said, Dad, I guess I'm not worth very much, am I? Our children need to know that they have value. And one of the ways that that becomes clear is spending time with them. I think that's the point of the story. Moving on, the need for security. Well, there are two freedoms. The false, where one is free to do what he likes, and the true, where he is free to do what he ought. I think there's a lot of truth in that. Some children are raised to believe they can do anything they want, and they're miserable. Um... They are not happy children. But when they are taught to control themselves, have some self-discipline, then they're free to do what they ought and they'll, they'll be much happier and secure. What builds security for a child? Mom and dad who are deeply in love, close-knit family, regular routine, proper discipline, touching your child, and a sense of belonging. A doctor once asked a young girl, what does home mean to you? She replied, home is the place to go when it gets dark. You know, when it's dark in the evening, there's nothing quite as safe as home. It's just a safe place to be, and I think that's true. And that, could be, that can mean dark in other ways as well. When, when life is hard, when there's turmoil, when there's difficulty um, around us or in other relationships or whatever, home is the place to go where it's safe. Next one, the need for acceptance. I don't want to go to that yet. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And this is from the book, John Drescher's book, and I don't have it along. I forgot to bring it this week. But um, some of you have heard this one before. Children learn what they live. If children learn, live with criticism, they learn to condemn. If children live with hostility, they learn to fight. If children live with ridicule, they learn to feel shy. If children live with shame, they learn to feel guilty. If children live with encouragement, they learn confidence. If children live with tolerance, they learn patience. If children live with praise, they learn appreciation. If children live with acceptance, they learn to love. If children live with approval, they learn to like themselves. If children live with honesty, they learn truthfulness. If children live with security, they learn to have faith in themselves and in those about them. If children live with friendliness, they learn the world is a nice place to live. So how do we teach our children that they're accepted? By them observing that in us. What builds acceptance? few things here. I know there's a lot of things. Um, obviously, you can't write all these down, and I've, I've heard from a few people earlier in the week that you couldn't keep up with something. I can get any of these things to you later if you need those, and I'll, I'll talk about that this evening a little bit. If there's something you want a copy of, I can get it to you later, so don't be too frustrated if you can't write down something quick enough. What builds acceptance? Recognize the child is unique. Help the child find satisfaction and achievements. Accept his friends. Maintain an honest, genuine relationship with the child and listen to what the child is saying. Another story here of a young man who didn't feel accepted. Dear mom and dad, thank you for everything. But I'm going to Chicago to try and start some kind of a new life. You asked me why I did those things, and why I gave you so much trouble. The answer is for me to give you, but I'm wondering if you will understand. Remember when I was about six or seven, and I used to want you to listen to me? I remember all the nice things you gave me for Christmas on my birthday, and I was really happy about those things for about a week. But the rest of the time during the year, I didn't really want presents. I just wanted all the time for you to listen to me. Like I was somebody who felt things too, because I, rem- I remember even when I was young. I felt things, but you said you were busy. Mom, you're a wonderful cook, and you had everything so clean, and you were tired so much from doing all those things that made you busy. But you know something, Mom? I would have liked crackers and peanut butter just as well if you'd only sat down with me a while during the day and said to me, Tell me about it so maybe I can help you. And when Donna came, this was his sister, I believe, I couldn't understand why everyone made such so much fuss because I didn't think it was my fault that her hair was curly and her skin was so white and she doesn't have to wear glasses with thick lenses. Her grades were better too, weren't they? If anyone asks where I am, tell them I've gone looking for someone with time because I've got a lot of things I want to talk about. The need for praise. It is a great mistake for men to give up paying compliments, for when they give up saying what is charming, they give up thinking what is charming. I think this is true. Mark Twain said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. How many of you aren't kind of the same? It goes a long way. We don't have to be doing that all the time with our children, but if periodically we just give them a good, solid compliment, it means the world to them and helps them to understand that you really do value them. A couple of things in praise. Uh, Well, if I can get this here. I'm sorry, I'm not sure why I'm having such trouble. I think I'm missing that. A couple of things. Praise the child's performance, not his personality or his looks, and praise him sincerely. Moving on, the need for discipline. There's a lot of missing ingredients in the home in America today, but one of the very noticeable ones is the lack of discipline. And the Bible says God makes it clear that any father who doesn't discipline his child doesn't love him. And I know that we're we're living in a day when, when we read a lot of things. And I mentioned, I think it was the first evening, when you read books to always filter them through the Bible, that should be a given. But there are some books on child training that are a modern way of thinking that is not God's way. Children do need discipline. When I say discipline, there's a lot of different ways you can discipline your child, but one of those is using the rod. The Bible talks about it. One boy said this, I wish my father would beat me. At least that way I would know he cared. And it's hard for most of us to imagine because uh, most of us were in a home where, where we did receive discipline. And uh, through that, we knew our parents did care. But some children today, and you all are involved with these clubs, kids in Coatesville, and we are at home as well. And I'm sure you've seen those where some of them, their parents care so little that they just wish they would get beat so they at least know somebody cared. It's hard to imagine, but it's true. There are those children. Proverbs 3.11 My son despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Hebrews twelve five to 8, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. And the word bastard there means a child that is born out of wedlock. His parents are unmarried, he's, the timing is off, he's, he's an unwanted child. So God makes it very clear in his word that, that if he would not be disciplining us, we're not his children. And that reminds me, a number of years ago, after my parents had a number of really difficult experiences, one was their house collapsed into their basement, maybe some of you remember that. And someone in the family committed suicide, not my family, but the extended family. It was a number of things that happened, and one older man from church came to them one day and he said, You know, Sonny and Rosanna, God must really love you. When I heard he said that, I thought, Well, that was an unusual way to look, or maybe it shouldn't be unusual, but it sounded a bit unusual. How many of you go to someone who's enduring a lot of difficult things and say, wow, you're so blessed by God? And yet that's actually what God is telling us in his word. When he brings discipline, chastisement, it's because he loves us. And the same is true for our children. The same thing applies. Discipline is absolutely essential for The complete training of a child, it shapes their character in a way that nothing else does, cannot be replaced. And I believe, especially for young children, I still remember this feeling. There's a lot of things I don't remember about when I was a boy, but one thing I remember is when I was a young boy and I would do something bad, and it was that fear, ooh, I did something bad, now what's going to happen? And I also remember the relief after Mom or Dad said, "That was wrong. You knew that was wrong. You're, you're going you're to need this. you're going to need spanking." And, and they would use the discipline, and I felt free. It cleansed my conscience. I was free. I was reset. I was ready to go again. And, and especially for children who do not need at an age where they don't know how to do that. We need to do that for them. Later, as they get older, uh, that can happen other ways. We can, we can teach them to, to bring their things to God at, at an, a, a proper age. Proverbs 23, 13 says, Do not keep back training from the child, for even if you give him blows with the rod, it will not be death to him. Give him blows with the rod and keep his soul safe from the underworld. This is the ESV. Again, in Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. 22, 15, folly is bound up in, a child, in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And, and we, anyone that has had several children knows that what you you see that sometimes in a child, that just that that folly. It's just they're bent on doing wrong, and sometimes there's those situations where maybe they've already done something bad, and we don't know it happened, and they're guilty, and their heart is kind of churning, and we see that restlessness. We just know there's something. They're just going to do something again because they're just restless. And I believe that's one of the things it's talking about here. When we use the rod well, it brings peace to that little child's heart. From these scriptures, there's some things that are clear. And I know we're going through this quickly, but we need to for the sake of time. Using the rod correctly will not physically damage a child at least not permanently. The Bible says it will save his soul from hell. Refusing to discipline our children is not true love. And if we truly love our child, we will be diligent, which means, well, one person said it means early and it means often, consistently, doing it as needed, not looking for opportunities to discipline, but doing it as needed. And and fifthly, inside the heart of every child is a nature bent on taking his own way, but the rod drives that foolishness away. Several things that I believe are important for discipline, especially the use of the rod, to be effective. Don't yell. While disciplining your children. Never spank in anger. And I believe this especially is true for a father. You know, I've heard a number of children say already, Yeah, my my mom never spanked me hard enough for it to even matter. You know, it was boy boy when dad did it, I you know, it, it hurt. There's some truth to that. We as men are stronger, and in many cases, probably we're a little more unschlicked with our discipline, <laughs> earnest, or, uh, you know, we, we go at it. But we as dads, because of the nature of a father, us being the strong one, us being the authority, being the leader of the home, we can crush our children's heart by being angry as we discipline. We do that very often. It will drive them away. Absolutely, it will drive them away. Don't discipline. Don't yell and don't spank in anger. Hold your child after using the rod. I know I've heard of people who don't agree with this, but I believe absolutely it's a good thing. Think about God. I don't know what your picture is of God, but as I read scriptures about God disciplining us, My picture is, yeah, he disciplines us. It hurts, but then he holds us in his grace. Says, child, I know it hurt. I know it's painful, but I love you. I think that's very important. And pray with the child. And certainly... I know one of the things that I made sure I did before and after we would discipline is, is tell them clearly why. Exactly what happened, why you're doing it, before and after, and then pray with them. And, and sometimes I ask them if they would pray. Usually I just did, but uh, sometimes they want to. Many times they probably won't. But you know one of the things that that when when we when we discipline our children God's way firmly, but we show them love, what is usually the response afterward? Someone say so? Respect? Not all, it doesn't always happen. It didn't always happen for me either. But many times they want it to be close to me. Maybe even want you to hold them. That wasn't always the case. Sometimes they wanted to be comforted by mom. <laughs> and that's okay too. But usually when, when it's done properly, it brings them close and that doesn't drive them away. <clears throat> i like to read three short parables. I took a little child's hand in mine. He and I were to walk together for a while. I was to lead him to the Father. It was a task that overcame me, so awful was the responsibility. And I talked to the little child only of the Father. I painted the sternness of the Father's face, were the child to displease him. We walked under tall trees. I said the father had power to send them crashing down, struck by his thunderbolt. We walked in the sunshine. I told him of the greatness of the father who made the burning, blazing sun. And one twilight, we met the father. The child hid behind me. He was afraid. He would not uh, not look up at the face so loving. He remembered my picture. He would not put his hand in the father's hand. I was between the child and the father. I wondered. I had been so conscientious, so serious. The second one. I took a little child's hand in mine. I was to lead him to the father. I felt burdened by the multitude of the things I was to teach him. We did not ramble. We hastened on from spot to spot. At one moment, we compared the leaves of the trees. In the next, we were examining a bird's nest. While the child was questioning me about it, I hurried him away to chase a butterfly. Did he chance to fall asleep? I wakened him, lest he should miss something I wished him to see. We spoke of the father often and rapidly. I poured into his ears all the stories he ought to know, but we were interrupted often by the wind blowing, of which we must speak, by the coming out of the stars, which we must needs study, by the gurgling brook, which we must trace to its source, and then... In the twilight, we met the father. The child merely glanced at him. The father stretched out his hand to the child, but the child was not interested enough to take it. Feverish spots burned on his cheeks. He dropped, exhausted, to the ground and fell asleep. Again, I was between the child and the father. I wondered. I had taught him so many things. And in the third, I took a little child's hand in mine to lead him to the father. My heart was full of gratitude for the privilege. We walked slowly. I suited my steps to the short steps of the child. We spoke of the things the child noticed. Sometimes it was of the father's birds. We watched it build a nest. And we saw the eggs that were laid. We wondered later at the care it gave its young. Sometimes we picked the father's flowers and stroked their soft petals and loved their bright colors. Often we told stories of the father. I told them to the child, and the child told them to me. We told them, the child and I, over and over again. Sometimes we stopped to rest, leaning against the father's trees and letting his, cool, his air cool our brows And never speaking. And then, in the twilight, we met the father. The child's eyes shone. He looked up lovingly, trustingly, eagerly into the father's face. He put his hand into the father's hand. I was, for the moment, forgotten. I was content. That's our job as parents. Lead them to the Father. But notice it must be done at their pace. It must be done at their level. It must be done gently. It must be done slowly. And then they will gladly take the Father's hand. Let's kneel for prayer.